This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Welcome to the program. Mike Griffith here, and I hope you're going ready to enjoy the Ingles on the Beat show. We're going to have a couple special guests. Emily Gagnon from CBS 46 and Atlanta News First is going to join us here in a few minutes. And of course, on the back half of the show, we'll have Jeremy Pruitt as well. Uh, obviously, it was a busy and important weekend for Georgia football. Seeing Stetson Bennett in New York City as one of the four Heisman Trophy finalists was absolutely huge for the program. It's a, it's a game changer for Kirby Smart. It says that if you come to Georgia, you can be a Heisman Trophy finalist. You know, remember how a lot of folks had used it against Kirby that, well, he doesn't work well with quarterbacks, et cetera, et cetera. Jacob Beeson, Jake Fromm, Justin Fields. If you can get Stetson Bennett to New York City, then I think that that tells a lot of these five-star and four-star prospects that come and play in this system and win all your games, and you too can be a Heisman Trophy finalist. So uh, a lot of credit and kudos to Stetson for making that trip. Uh, I thought it was a good look for Georgia to have somebody there. I mean, my goodness, if you're the reigning national champions and you're ranked number one in the country, how could your quarterback not be there, right? I mean, the fact Stetson's 13-0, I know a lot of people looked at his numbers uh, in some ways paled compared to others in terms of touchdown passes. But you look at the games where Stetson played well, they were the big games, and that's what people remembered and noticed. And that's something that we will talk to Emily about. Uh, you've all heard the news about Mike Leach, uh, a very dire situation in Jackson, Mississippi. Mike Leach having uh, a massive heart attack at his home Sunday, uh, ultimately airlifted to Jackson, Mississippi, to the University of Mississippi uh, Medical Center there in Jackson. And uh, we're all kind of trying to keep abreast on those reports. Um, Jackson Clary and Ledger reporting uh, that Coach Leach had lost some oxygen to his brain. Uh, and made it a very difficult, critical condition. Uh, two of his children were there, two of his children on the way. And you've seen on social media, in mass, coaches, players, all commenting on Mike Leach and, and how much he's meant to the sport, just how popular uh, of a coach Mike Leach really is. And really, you know, how he kind of revolutionized college football with the air raid concepts that you see everywhere. Um, you know, any any time you turn around, I mean, my goodness, Todd Munkin uses air raid concepts within the Georgia offense. I mean, Mike Light, Mike Leach was really the first coach to start to delve into that first as an assistant there at Kentucky. And then, of course, the work that he did at Texas Tech was also very impressive. So we're live tonight. If you've got questions, this is going to be an interactive show. Appreciate seeing Edward Moore here and Jerry Popham already. Leonard Young with the prayers for Mike Leach. Thanks for joining in on the show tonight. If you've got questions, ask as we go. Um, a lot to talk about with Georgia. They will get to practicing this week. Kirby Smart will hold a media day. Players will be available on Wednesday. You heard Kirk, You heard Stetson Bennett say on Saturday that he hated missing the guys getting together running. So obviously the team has gotten back together this last weekend and, and had some workouts. I'm not sure to what extent or how supervised it was, but George Bulldogs now will begin their preparations 
for the Ohio State Buckeyes, December 31st. It's an 8 p.m. game. Tickets, as you might imagine, outrageous. I've already seen some tickets going for over $1,000 online. It's just crazy. College game day is going to be there. Uh, George has obviously been on college game day quite a bit since Kirby Smart's been the head coach. 16 appearances on college game day uh, under Kirby Smart uh, quite a bit. But you know what? Ohio State has actually been on college game day more than any other program in the country, which surprised me. I looked this up, and uh, we've got a story on Dog Nation right now. I list the top 10 programs the most times they've been on game day. Looks like this will be the 56th time for Ohio State on college game day. Georgia, 32 all-time. But over the last six years, since 2017, when Kirby Smart, his second year as a head coach, Georgia's been on 16 times. That's more than any other program in the SEC, including Alabama. Number for Alabama in that time frame, 15 times. So very interesting. And, and again, I, I think this is important. I think anytime Georgia gets an opportunity uh, to put themselves out in front of the country. One of the things that's changed in college football really in the last 25 years is that there's so much more coverage available on television. Whereas before there was really only a few games on, I mean, when ESPN came along and ESPN two, that offered you some opportunities in addition to the networks. But as I recall back then, you were looking at probably four or five games now, with all the different conference networks and, and deals that schools have, I mean, you could probably watch 30 games, 30 to 35. I mean, some of you would know better than I. Um, I don't channel search much outside the SEC and major conferences, but I'll bet you that you could watch 30 to 40 games. Or if you want to stream it off of a service, right? But back in the day, it was so important to be that school that was on. Uh, it really helped with recruiting. Well, now there's a few different programs that kind of separate you from the rest. And I think when ESPN College Game Day is on campus, I think that's a separator. And so all these appearances that George has made, I mean, really, this is only the second time this year that Game Day is going to be at a Georgia game. I kind of wanted it. It was just, it was like they were, I don't know, I don't think they were purposely dodging Georgia, but the games didn't really lend themselves to Georgia. Whereas 2021, I'm counting this up. One, two, three, four, five, six appearances on college game day in 2021. Uh, two of those in Athens, if you remember, uh, I think back-to-back -back weeks, uh, Arkansas and Kentucky, you had game day coming here for Georgia against then top-ranked teams. So I think part of it was maybe the schedule didn't really cooperate this year with the opponent. Uh, now, the, the game they were here for, and the interesting thing to me is how the, the script is kind of flipped. So the last time game day was at a Georgia game, the opponent was Tennessee, and Tennessee was number one. Remember that? The college football playoff rankings had just come out, and Tennessee jumped over Georgia. Which hadn't lost, Georgia hadn't lost any games. Georgia was number one in the coaches' poll. Georgia was number one in the AP poll. And Tennessee, just the committee, just jumped Tennessee right over them. And a lot of people were picking Tennessee to beat Georgia in Athens. And there was a lot of talk. I mean, the, the Tennessee former quarterback Eric Ames said that it wasn't a big deal to play between the hedges. He didn't think the crowd would be a factor. And what a Saturday that was. One of the biggest games that I've ever been to and seen, and certainly the loudest that I've ever been to. So that one appearance on college game day was certainly a memory. 
And when Georgia plays Ohio State at 8 p.m. on December 31st in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the dogs will be looking to make more memories. And uh, I know many of you watching will be there. And now I want to bring my first guest on, Emily Gagnon from CBS 46 and Atlanta News First. Emily, I know you're going to be at that game as well at Mercedes-Benz Stadium when Georgia plays host to the Ohio State Bulldogs open as a seven-point favorite. Can't wait to see that game myself. Well, you know, you think about Kirby Smart and what he's done with the program. It's It's been so remarkable. And now he's going to have this opportunity to go up against Ryan Day and Ohio State and, uh, and C.J. Stroud, another one of the Heisman Trophy finalists. So this is going to be really interesting uh, to see what happens when these teams meet. I can't wait to, to check that game out. Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Um, when, she, when that game takes place, 8 p.m., December 31st. Of course, the first game is TCU against Michigan, and that game's going to take place across the country in the Fiesta Bowl out there in Glendale, Arizona. So, uh, Michael, do we have Emily with us? I'm here. Can you hear me, Mike? There we go. There's Emily. How are you, Emily? It's good to see you tonight. Good to see you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, you're here. And so your thoughts, because we're talking about out of the gate, the matchup between Georgia and Ohio State. When you saw that matchup, what went through your mind? Well, I thought fans are getting what they want, right? Especially Ohio State fans, because since the beginning of the season, that's all I've heard from OSU fans saying they want the dogs. They want the dogs. Well, here they are. You got the dogs. Let's see what you got. Of course, Georgia coming into this game absolutely on a roll. 13-0 for the first time in program history. It's something that the players love that they've accomplished. You and I have talked about it several times. It's something last season's team wasn't able to do. Go 13-0. They lost in that SEC championship game against Alabama. The players were still on the team. They definitely thought about that. They knew that it was something they wanted to accomplish. It was one thing that last year's team didn't do, right? So these players right now, very happy to be where they are. They know the job isn't done. Two games left until you know, they could possibly be 15 and 0. And, you know, I think I mentioned this with you before. Um, only three, if Georgia can do it, only three teams will have gone 15 and 0 in the modern day era. So that's pretty cool. Uh, LSU and Clemson have done it. Not to mention, there's no team in the CFP era that's been able to repeat back to back. So they'd be back to back champions. And that's never happened before, not, not in the CFP era. Good note there, Emily. I like that. I, I guess I hadn't really thought about that, that none of those Alabama teams were able to do that in the college football playoffs. Of course, when Kirby Smart was there as an assistant, I want to say, what, maybe 08, 09, uh, I think those teams might have repeated. Interesting uh, start to the show tonight. We opened the show tonight talking about the Heisman Trophy and Stetson Bennett being there. And, and of course, you're in the television industry, and so you have a pretty good idea of the, the power of television and the power of broadcast. How big of a deal do you think that was for Georgia? Oh, I think it's huge. I mean, I think we're just now getting to learn a little bit about what Kirby Smart has to offer. He obviously came to Georgia and made a difference right away, right? Year two, took the team to the national championship. They lost. And then a couple years after that, they hadn't really done much, right? I mean, by Georgia standards, after two years, you were like, okay, they're going to go back to the national championship right away. Now I think you're getting a taste of what uh, Kirby – is going to do at Georgia for several years to come. I mean, he's, he, that's his alma mater. It matters a lot to him. I know that we talk about it a lot, but it absolutely does. This is something to him that's his baby and he wants to do it right. And when you talk to former players, 
listen, they're not downing Mark Rick by any means, but they're saying whoever played for Mark Rick and it also played for Kirby, the day Kirby got in there, you could tell that the standard was different, that just winning 10 games a season wasn't going to be okay. Davin Bellamy sat down with me a couple of weeks ago, and that's exactly what he said. He said that as soon as Kirby got there, you could tell that practices were not going to be what they used to be. And they were going to be very difficult. And that Kirby wasn't just going to take anything from players. He wanted their absolute best. And that's what you're seeing now. If you set that standard and you show players that this is where you got to go to get to where you want to go. And they don't have any other choice, but to do it. I mean, that's basically what players have told me. It's just playing for Kirby is very difficult, but I'm sure that, playing for Bill Belichick was very difficult too in his heyday, right? So you might not like your coach, but you respect your coach. And I'm not saying players say they don't like Kirby because they absolutely, I do believe they do like him. Um, but I'm sure at practices, they it's not very pleasant. But this is what he said, right? If you're going to come here and you're going to practice a certain way and play a certain way, then you're going to be able to win and you're going to be able to win on the biggest stages. So Players do like to win. We already know that. So I definitely think that he has changed the game at Georgia and not just for present day. I think for years to come, Georgia fans, I mean, you guys have a lot to celebrate in years to come. And that's just what I think, just because Kirby will not accept anything less. And the way he continues to recruit and his coaches continue to recruit and continue to get guys at Georgia, the right guys, uh, you know, it seems like they're unstoppable at this very moment. And you mentioned it a lot, you know, guys like Lad McConkey, he was like, what, uh, prospect number 1000 beyond 1000. And look at what he's been able to do at Georgia. Georgia saw something in him that perhaps other schools didn't, and they've been able to develop him and he has been balling out. It's great to see. It really is. Yeah. Momentum's a big word. And Kirby talks about it all the time, Emily, and certainly the program has it now with this 13 and 0 record you know, how many games they've won in a row at home? I think it's at 15 or 16 going back to 2019 South Carolina. And, and, and I wasn't going to do this, and I don't normally do this, because, look, they, they got to play Ohio State, and, and then, you know, they win that game. They got to play at SoFi. But the other day, I just peeked ahead at the 2023 schedule. I, just just for the heck of it. <laughs> you had and to do you, it, didn't you? It, you? You tell me. I mean, this is just – there's no Clemson or Oregon to start the season. No, no. There's UT Martin, okay? So let's UT Martin on September 2nd. Then it's Ball State at home. I mean, Ball State. And then it's South Carolina, which has Marshawn Lloyd in the portal, along with Jaheim Bell, one of their uh, big targets at tight end. The other tight end that had transferred from Oklahoma, he transferred back. You think Spencer Rattler's coming back to this? No chance. I'm glad we all like Shane Beamer and it was a feel-good year. Because I just don't see South Carolina being a reload for an eight-win season with all these guys hitting the portal. But that's your openers, UT Martin, Ball State, South Carolina, UAB. Remember the last time we saw UAB, Stetson Bennett threw five touchdown passes in the first half because they couldn't figure out how to defend the bunch formation. Kirby spent all week telling us how good this UAB coach was. And then he went out there and looked like a Pop Warner coach didn't understand defense for a half of football. Things get a little bit trickier when they play at Auburn, but that's Hugh Freeze and Emily, the news today, Tank Bigsby announcing that he's leaving for the NFL. I don't know what Auburn's got coming back. And to be honest, I don't think they can reload that fast. Then Kentucky comes in here. Kentucky, they're going to lose Will Levis, a first-round talent at quarterback. They're going to lose Chris Rodriguez. He was the leading running back returning this season. I think that's a wash. Then you got to play at Vanderbilt. Big deal. Party for everybody in Nashville. 
Then you get an open date. Then you get Jackson. You know, you go to Jacksonville, play Florida. They're at a huge reload. Anthony Richardson looks like he's leaving. Then Missouri's at home. Old Miss is at home. What's Old Miss going to have back? I mean, that Old Miss game at home may be the toughest game. I don't know what Tennessee's going to have, but we're talking about November. And I don't even feel like George is breaking a sweat, man. Maybe Georgia Tech. What did you think of this news? Buster Faulkner, your quarterback's coach, your your uh, protege of Todd Munkin, takes the company secrets over to Georgia Tech. Brent Key's not playing, man. He just hired somebody, and you don't think that you don't think Faulkner is going to bring the playbook over there? Shouldn't there be some kind of rule? And maybe Kirby needs to put in these contracts like you can leave, but not for this. Your buyout triples if you go to. I think this is dangerous. <laughs> what was your reaction? when you saw that Buster Faulkner left the Georgia program with the playbook, with the institutional knowledge, and is now at Georgia Tech. I mean, listen, yes, it's a surprising move, but does it happen? Yes, that also does happen. I think Brent Key, he he is out for blood right now. Just like Kirby. Kirby went to Georgia, played at Georgia. Well, Key went to Georgia Tech, played at Georgia Tech. When you talk to the guy, you can tell that his passion for Tech is on a whole other level. It is, I mean, he you can tell that he, the sweat, blood, tears, I mean, he wasted it there, and he's putting it back into the program. Um, at his press conference last week, they introduced him, and he said that, that they plan on dominating this state. 365 days in the calendar year, they plan on dominating this state. And he was putting a message out to Georgia, kind of saying like, listen, Georgia, this has been your state for the last few years, but I'm coming for you. When he played there, I think that him and Kirby, because they, they played each other and yep. um, they split games, I believe. I think Key got two wins and Kirby got two wins. And that was back in the days when, of course, that rivalry meant something nowadays. I mean. I have been here for six years now. I have yet to see Tech beat Georgia. I haven't seen it yet. So for all the kids who play at Georgia now, they have no clue. They understand it's in-state rival, yada, 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 but they have no clue what that rivalry once meant. They do know they don't want to lose to them, that's for sure, but they also understand that I don't know what it used to be like when this was an actual competitive game. I haven't seen a competitive game. Yes, in that first half, this year, Georgia Tech, Georgia. Georgia Tech did a really good job. He did a tremendous job. I mean, really, that was a surprising game. They scored, I think, on the first drive, right? They did. They scored, yeah, one of the, I think they were the first team. Yeah, to score first quarter touchdown against Georgia this year. Yeah, and you thought, oh, okay, like Georgia Tech's bringing it. And that's part of key, you know, wanting to leave a mark on the program that helped him out in life. And, you know, Coach Saban coached him as well. Let's not forget that. And Coach Saban had some really nice things to say about Key when he got hired at Georgia Tech. So Kirby, I'm I'm not saying that Kirby and Key are on the same level of success quite yet, but you feel that maybe when Tech made this hire that they are hiring the right person because it's personal to him. It means something to him. He wants that program to do well. Um, but yeah, I mean, you hate to see your coaches go to like, right, you know, 100 miles away to the in-state rival, like you said, with the playbook in hand. But will the playbook look exactly the same next season? We got to remember Stetson Bennett won't be there. I keep thinking he might find a way to come back. I'm like, is Stetson going to find a way to be like a super <laughs> senior? Is he going to find a way? Uh, but um you know, there'll be a new quarterback. We'll see a lot of different faces next year. But but to your point with that schedule, 
you look at it and right away you think, is Georgia going to have a perfect regular season again? Is this going to happen again for a third straight season? Are they going to be that dominant and not have a loss, not suffer a loss until possibly December, the first weekend in December at Mercedes-Benz Stadium? I mean, that is crazy. I think they won 21 of their last 22 games going back to 2020. What other team in this country can say that right now in current day? Nobody, nobody. It's, it's, it's experience, right? It's experience. And I know Kirby likes to tell us all the time that a lot of the players that are playing on this year's team, uh, they did not play a big role on last year's team. So they want to win one for themselves. They want to be a huge part of winning one, but let's be serious. They were on the team. They went to those meetings. They were on the bus. They saw the standard. They took it. They understand it now and now they're applying it so the kids next year who might not play a big role on this year's team well would you you would think the same thing would happen with them right standards don't change with Kirby he has an expectation you either meet it or you don't and then if you don't you decide do I say or do I enter the transfer portal it's really easy yeah and, and there's somebody that's ready to step in right behind you you know and it's been interesting that there really hasn't been anybody that's go, gone in the portal yet except for Norton and you know, that's a guy on the defensive line that, that really hadn't been able to crack that rotation. Don't really know what his future would have been here. The question I looked at was, will Georgia get a quarterback transfer? It's, and and it, look, it, this is just the way it is. The business is business. I thought one of the stories from New York that conveniently didn't get talked about a lot was that Georgia actually pursued Caleb Williams in the portal after last year. After Stetson won the MVP of the championship game, you know, the they're calling Caleb Williams to try to come and play at Georgia in 2022. Now they had recruited Caleb Williams in high school, out of high school. And they told the story about how Stetson hosted him when he first came in for a visit, but that was back in 2019. They tried to sign him again. And what ended up happening was Caleb Williams leveraged Georgia to get more money out of USC. And the reports were that Caleb Williams got between two and $4 million dollars to go to USC and play for Lincoln Riley and that Georgia had helped him raise his ante. Look, Kirby, you know, the loyalty goes as far as it goes to help him. And if you're not good enough or if he can get somebody better, he's going to get them. And that's just, you got to understand that when you come to Georgia, you're not just competing against the guys that are on the roster. You're competing against who they might bring in the portal or you're competing against the guys that, that might, you know, transfer in. I mean, what Kirby likes to say, if it ain't broke, find a way to make it better. I've been watching the portal very closely, Emily, to see if there's any quarterbacks I thought that maybe Kirby could bring in that could beat out Carson Beck. Because the one thing I would say about Beck, listen, I like Carson Beck. I think he's incredibly talented. I think he's got great arm strength. He's got great athleticism. Jake Fromm told us in the preseason, he's your prototypical NFL quarterback. I mean, he checks all the boxes, but they hardly played him. There was many opportunities they could have played Carson Beck and shown us that they were invested in him in the future, like they did Stetson last year. Remember, even when JT was off to these great starts in games, they'd play Stetson, and you'd go to Kirby. Well, why did you do that? And you go, well, he deserved to play. Well, does, did Carson Beck not deserve to play this year? So that tells me this is wide open. I mean, maybe Beck's the guy. But here's how I think it's going to go down. I don't think that Brock Vandergriff is going to transfer right now, and maybe not at all. 
I think what's going to happen is these quarterbacks are going to compete in the spring, and I think they're going to ask Todd Munkin, who I think is coming back, and I'll explain that in a moment, for a clear picture. Who's the one and who's the two? And one of them bolts. Gunnar Stockton hangs around. He's not going anywhere. But Beck or Vandergriff, one of those two leaves, and then Georgia brings a transfer in after spring. Or if you're Kirby, you're a chess player, and you think to yourself, one of these guys is going to leave after spring. <laughs> so why not get a guy right now to throw in the mix that you can get to? You know, so now as far as the other part I wanted to follow up on, I reported a few days ago that Todd Munkin, if he ever wanted to be a head coach again at the college level, Emily, this Purdue job is it. And people in Georgia, you know, kind of looking down their nose, what Purdue? What's a Purdue? Let me tell you, Purdue is a quarterback factory. It's an offensive factory. It's a place a guy can coach and just coach. He doesn't have 30 of us media people around him, you know, twice a week asking him every question in the world. And so we can forget what kind of dog he has like Kirby did on his coaching show the other night. Nobody's right up his tail every day. You can just go to Purdue and coach and be in West Lafayette. If you don't know where that is, good for you. It's not worth stopping that. And just do your job and do it in the Big Ten and do it in one of the weakest divisions in Power Five and the Big Ten West. They played Michigan in the Big Ten championship game. It's a talented team. You can recruit there. Munkin's from two hours. Like Todd Munkin, you're 56 years old. If you ever want to do it again, man, there's a school here that'll pay six or seven million. If you're going to do it, do it. I don't think he's going to do it, Emily. I think the fact that Buster Faulkner bolted for Georgia Tech tells me Munkin ain't leaving. Because I believe if Munkin was, that Buster Faulkner would have been his offensive coordinator. I think he would have gone with Todd. But now that he sees there's this log jam here and Munkin's not leaving and Bobo's probably not leaving either, you know, he's just standing around, you know, patting the quarterbacks on the back like Stetson this year, kind of being the interpreter. Right. So that Stetson didn't have to talk to Munkin. Like, what did he say, uh, Buster? Well, he said this and this and this. Well, maybe that's not exactly how he said it, but it's a little bit easier to swallow that way. So I guess I would ask you your take on Todd Munkin. How much longer do you think we're going to see him? And let me ask you this, Emily. Is he the most important assistant coach on Kirby Smart staff? Yes. Hands down. Most, most important, of course, because I don't think that. And this is, again, an opinion. Nobody has said this to me, so I don't want anybody to take this quite literally. But I don't think Kirby wants anything to do with the offense. He wants to stick with the defense. Let's be honest. That's what he knows. That's his bread and butter. That's what he wants to do. So if you lose a defensive coordinator at Georgia, it wouldn't be that big of a deal, right? Like they just lost someone and look at what happened. No <laughs> drop off whatsoever, right? The defense is not suffering, doing just as well. They're still out there, you know, showing off. Um, but if Todd Munkin leaves, that's a whole other problem in itself because Todd Munkin got there and that's when things started to change. Okay. Georgia's defense is always going to be good. And yes, Georgia's always going to be known as RBU. But beyond that, they needed something else. Well, Todd Munkin got there and he implemented his offense and he made it work for everybody around him with who they had. He Quite literally, and I'm not saying Stetson Bennett is not talented in his own right, but he has taken Stetson Bennett a walk-on and turned him into a man who was just in New York City, fourth in the Heisman Trophy voting. I mean, we've got to give some credit to Munkin for that. So if he stepped away, who are you going to get that, not to mention, 
again, an opinion thing here. Kirby has to be a hard coach to work for, just like Saban, just like any of the greats. They usually aren't very easy to work for. And I'm not saying that coaches don't enjoy it. What I'm saying is, again, no excuses. It's just like players. You've got to go through all the standards and you have to meet the highest standards. Todd Munkin and Kirby right now seem to have a decent relationship. If Todd Munkin isn't running out of the building to take a head coaching job somewhere else, that tells me that he likes it. And that the pressure is, of course, there's pressure there. You are a coach at Georgia. There's pressure to win. But there's not pressure like being a head coach at a program, knowing you're going to get fired in a few years if things don't come to fruition. There is some kind of job security when it comes to being a coordinator or an assistant that you can enjoy, that you can enjoy as a head coach anywhere. I mean, listen, I hate to reference an NFL deal right now, but like Dan Quinn, right, former Falcons head coach, now with the Cowboys. He's a defensive coordinator there. You know, he interviewed for several jobs this offseason, head coaching jobs. And quite frankly, he what he took the he took the interviews, but he was happy being defensive coordinators. He 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 was happy with doing that job. Again, the pressure not so high. I don't think Todd Munkin's going anywhere, but if it happens tomorrow, then you and I are both wrong, you know, <laughs> like it's just one of those things. But right now, I do think he is probably the most important puzzle when it comes to coaching at Georgia beyond Kirby smart, just because offense probably is not Kirby's forte. I think it's safe to say that in the nicest of ways and defense is his jam. So get the best offensive coordinator, you know, and let them handle that side of the ball and see what happens and what has happened at Georgia has just been great. Talking with Emily Gagnon, she's a CBS 46 in Atlanta, Atlanta news first. And, and one of the cool things about Emily is that she also covers the NFL. She keeps up with the Falcons. In fact, she was up in Flowery Branch today. So Emily, being somewhat of a football expert as you are, I want you to put your uh, thinking cap on and look into your crystal ball. And I want to ask you, does Stetson Bennett ever take a snap as an NFL quarterback in a regular season game? Oh, you went to regular season. I was going to say, how well, no, no, wait a minute. Nah. I'm, I'm going to preface this. I want to preface this. I'm going to give you, I mean, give you some time to think here. So I was looking at I was looking at the Mel Kiper quarterback rankings, and okay. he's ranked ninth according to Mel Kiper. So I said, "Oh, well, this is interesting." And then I looked at some more of these NFL draft grades, and uh, scrolling through, scrolling through, and here's Stetson Bennett again. Um, here's thirteenth, and I was talking to the guy from the Senior Bowl, Jim Nagy. I said, "Jim, what do you think?" He said, "Mike, there there are some NFL teams that had an NFL draft grade on Stetson Bennett." between the fifth and the seventh round. Some will see him as a free agent. So, again, you're familiar with this. You, you've seen a lot of the, the mini camps when a lot of the rookies come in, try to make the team as a free agent. It's got to be tough, though, to be the starting – and we've seen this with Jake Fromm. When you're not drafted in the first three or four rounds, Emily, that really factors in. When was De – wasn't Desmond Ritter a pretty high draft pick for the Falcons? Desmond Ritter was drafted in the third round. And to, to that, he was pretty surprised. I believe it was the third. Now, now I'm double. Was he drafted? And I don't think he was in the second. I'm pretty sure he was the third. Um, but he did say that he was sitting there on draft night wondering, like, what's going on? Why haven't I been taken yet? I, and he was just waiting his turn. Was it the third round? Yeah. Um, and he was just waiting his turn. And, and he said he even called, uh, is it Malik Harris, right? I'm getting that right from right here who played at Liberty. They, he explained to us how they were on the phone with each other and neither of them understood why they had been taken yet. 
And so it's kind of interesting when you look at it that way, it's like Ritter was surprised that he went in the third round. He expected to go before then. And you could almost argue, I mean, you could argue that Stetson's done more for a team than Desmond Ritter has, you know, like playing for a national championship. Of course, Cincinnati played in the CFP in the playoffs, but um, listen, Justin Schaefer was drafted what? Last year's sixth offensive lineman. Fifth, sixth fifth round, or sixth. Fifth, fifth or sixth. And he got cut. Okay. So that goes to show just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put it in context for like dog fans watching who would know Justin Schaefer. He got cut. Now he's on the practice squad. So there's no promises past, I would say, one through four, you're, you're pretty much set. But like five through seven, you're disposable. But teams definitely are willing to cut you if they don't like what they're seeing. And not to say that Stetson won't go to a camp. He definitely will be invited, whether he be drafted, five through seven, as you mentioned, or undrafted. I think he'll probably go in there and, and you know, practice hard. But it's a whole different beast. That is actually one of my favorite, probably top three things to do in a calendar year is go to rookie mini camp. Because all you see out there is a bunch of talented kids running around with their heads cut off. I mean, that's literally what it looks like. They have no clue where they're going, left to right, all over the field. And then you talk to them and they say, I cannot believe how the speed of the game in the NFL is so tremendously different from college. Even Trayvon Walker, when the Jags and the Falcons had joint practices here, that's the number one thing he said. He he basically, without saying it, said that practices are harder at Georgia, but the speed of the game is different. So once you hit that field in the NFL, things are flying by you. There is no breaks. I mean, it is just fast, fast, fast. And the adjustments have to be made very fast. And players their first year they're not used to that heck even the second year they might still not be used to it right so for Stetson yes he'll be at a camp and we will be covering it and talking about it but will he ever take an NFL snap in a regular season game you know I I I don't see it. I'm not being a hater. I know dog fans love him and he has done so much for Georgia. So, so much. And we got to, you know, for, for dog fans, you got to love him for that. He has literally taken his opportunity and done the absolute most with it. And you've got to love that part of his story, but is he going to go to the NFL and, and absolutely ball out and be the, the number one guy that a team so desperately needs to win? I don't see it, not in the NFL, but obviously he did it in college. And that's a great thing. That doesn't mean he has to do it in the NFL. He did it in college, which is a lot more than most humans can say, right? Most most uh, people can't say that they ever led a team to a national championship, won a national championship, and then had a possible chance of doing it over again. You know, I mean, it doesn't happen very often. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens once the season's over. And he's going to go to the Combine. You're going to be there to see it. I think he's going to go to the combine. I, now, here's what I think. I, and this is what I think. The fact that Stetson Bennett told us after the national championship game that he's going to play football somewhere next year and it might not be Georgia. And remember what we said earlier, Georgia was trying to sign Caleb Williams. And if you're Stetson, you're like, yeah, okay, if they sign him, I'm out of here because they're, they're going to sign another quarterback in the portal, then you're probably not going to. He was willing to go somewhere else. So, Emily, this is what I predict. If he gets, if he doesn't get drafted or if he gets assigned to a practice squad, I think he'll stick as long as he can. 
But I wouldn't be surprised to see Stetson Bennett go play quarterback in Canada. When you think about the game in Canada and the wider field and the mobility, and there's these new professional leagues that we're seeing with the USFL. I think Stetson Bennett's going to be a guy that's going to play football for as long as he possibly can. He did it, George. I mean, look, he's, he's 25 years old wearing a letter jacket, right? I mean, he hung on to this life as long as he possibly could. That tells me how much he loves the game and loves being a quarterback. And, yeah, he could cash in and make all this money. Oh, hell, he did make all this money. He made over a million dollars in endorsements this he year. He like he went broke this year. But I think Stetson's a guy that will play the game as long as he can. And if it's not the NFL, and, and here's what you were saying, and, and I've seen this too, it's a lottery. Once you're the second or the third string quarterback, I'll give you a great example. I covered a guy at Michigan State named Connor Cook. Connor's six foot four, mobile, uh, looked like the next coming of Aaron Rodgers. He could put it in a bucket off the run, a big arm, and was drafted in the fourth round by the L.A. Raiders. They traded up so that the Dallas Cowboys could not draft Connor Cook. Gruden traded up for him to keep him away from Dallas. They didn't even need him. You know, they, they've got, you know, they've got their quarterback, so they didn't need Connor. They were playing defense. It's ridiculous. You know who the Cowboys drafted and said in the fourth round? Dak Prescott. If L.A. Raiders and John Gruden don't make that move, Connor Cook may be the quarterback right now for the Dallas Cowboys. It's a lot about opportunity and right time, right place when you're a quarterback. And so instead, he goes out there to the Raiders and he's stuck behind David Carr, who's a future franchise. Then the offensive coordinator signs this E.J. Manuel guy, a veteran that he's worked with before. So now Connor's third string. He went from possibly being the Dallas Cowboys starting quarterback to a third stringer buried on the jet chart under John Gruden, who's a maniac. And Connor's out of the NFL now. So when I think about great quarterbacks, and I think Johnny Manziel, where's he at right now? Right? I looked at Stetson, I said, you know, kind of, his game kind of reminds me of Johnny Manziel. He's, he's got some mobility, can move around. Uh, you know, Manziel was obviously a Heisman winner, won a lot of games, might have been a little bit more of a playmaker, but probably not as smart and as careful with the ball as Stetson. Um, you know, he didn't make it. And that's a guy that we all thought, right? So it was, it's a, it's a tough question. It's an interesting question. And Georgia fans are going to believe in Stetson until the nth degree. I, I said this, Emily, and, and I, I hope this didn't offend anybody when I made this analogy about the Heisman Trophy. A lot of people said to me, well, there's some people mad about Stetson being at, uh, at the Heisman. Should they be? I said, you know what, I, and, and, I, and I haven't watched beauty contests in a long time, just to be clear. But it kind of reminded me when you're watching the Miss USA pageant, and they bring the five finalists on the stage. And the people from Georgia say that Miss Georgia should win this thing. And the people from California think Miss California. And I'm just sitting there going, is anybody really a loser here? Because they all look like winners to me. It really turned into a beauty contest. And if you're a Georgia fan, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and you love Stetson Bennett. But if you're an Ohio State fan, C.J. Stroud just played one bad half. And if you're a TCU fan, Max Duggins put a team on his shoulders and got him into the playoff after they won, what, four or five games left? And if you're a USC fan, all you got to do is say, turn on the highlights. I don't care what's on his fingernails. Who's the best, talent, most talented guy? And then if you're like me, I'm sitting there going, 
I think the best guy didn't even get invited. I think Bryce Young is still the best guy. He won the Heisman last year. He didn't get any worse. His team, he didn't have a defense holding everybody to 10 points a game, right? So I guess I'd ask you that question before I let you go, just your your parting thoughts on your reaction to the Heisman and if you were upset or if you thought anybody got ripped off or if you thought the results went the way they should have. No, I don't think there was a clear-cut winner this year, and I think that's why people might be more upset this year because last year you really couldn't argue it you might not have liked it but you couldn't argue it when Joe Burrow won you know what you might not have liked it if you weren't an LSU fan but you couldn't argue it this year you can argue it there were four guys up there that quite frankly could have gone to any of them right I mean you the the voting was so close, right? I think it might've been the closest in a while. And there wasn't much that separated the guys and all quarterbacks. And it just seemed like none of them did enough to be like the wow guy. They all were like, wow, but not wow. And to your analogy, (laughs) you know, for Miss America or whatever, you know, there wasn't the, 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 the beauty in the eye of the beholder, they were all beautiful in their own way, but nobody was gorgeous. You know, it just wasn't there for me. So congratulations to all four. And as Caleb Williams said, really the joke is on him because quite frankly, he isn't playing for a title anymore. And the three other guys were, or are, I should say. So if you would ask him which one he'd rather have, the Heisman or a national championship, um, have a trophy in his hand on January 8th. I, I, I'm pretty sure he would say, I would rather play for a national championship and win and get a trophy on my hand that way. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, I wasn't surprised. I honestly thought I could have gone anyway. I, I thought for sure I was like, any of these guys could get it. Um, I hate that it was all quarterbacks. You know what I want, Mike? I want a defensive guy to win. I just want a defensive guy to win where are defensive guys at? You know, like, where are they at? I want them. I want one of them to just dominate the whole college football season. And then I want a defensive guy to be invited to New York city and win. That's what I want. That that's really, I want to bring it back to the defense. Cause I'm a defensive girl. That's what I like to watch. I like to see guys stop plays. That's what I'm watching on the field. So I'm sick of this offense stuff. I don't want it anymore. The most beautiful, <laughs> the most beautiful thing in my eyes is defense. Okay. So that, that's what I'm hoping for. But you know, again, like to your original question, I wasn't shocked. I, I wasn't, I didn't feel any kind of way about it just because I don't feel like there was a front runner like there has been in years past where, again, you might not have been happy with who won, but you couldn't argue who won because it was so clear that Bryce Young was going to win it last year. It was so clear that Joe Burrow was going to win it. I mean, you couldn't argue that. You just couldn't. Those guys were the best of the best of the best, the cream of the crop. Absolutely. So it is what it is, right? Here we are. Caleb Williams, he won in a sense, but like I mentioned, he didn't completely win because the other three guys are still still in the race right yeah and, and looking forward to seeing the dogs playing and now i know why you you enjoy kirby smart so much being you know with your affinity for defense and that's what kirby's all about um at the end of the day he's all about his defense there's no doubt in my mind uh but that's why i think the heisman finalist was so big because kirby may be a defensive coach but hey you can win the heisman here and, and he's proven that to you with a, with a former walk-on that no other school in the Power Five wanted. 
Nobody wanted him. No other SEC team wanted Stetson Bennett. He didn't have any scholarship offers uh, out of any Power 5 schools. He thought he was going to go play for Billy Napier at Louisiana when he woke up in the 2019 signing class. And Kirby threw him a lifeline and gave him an opportunity to come in and back up Jake Fromm. And now we've got this incredible uh, Hollywood story that's unfolded before us. And it's not over yet. So we'll see what happens. Folks, I'm going to uh, we're going to take a short break and recognize our sponsor, Angles. When we come back, take a very interesting segment with Jeremy Pruitt earlier today. Coaches dancing in the house. And some of the most interesting things that Jeremy did is a recruiter. And this doesn't need to go off the rails in the comments section here. Uh, but you're going to have a good time listening to what Jeremy and Jeremy also telling us what's going to be going on likely in these Georgia practices. Emily, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, I look forward to seeing you in Atlanta right now. We're going to take a moment and recognize our sponsor, Ingles. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Well, Mike Griffith, I'm back with Jeremy Pruitt, as promised coach. Uh, you know, before we get into this week, you and I taped this segment uh, Monday, earlier Monday. And uh, there's obviously a situation uh, with Coach Leach that, that we've all been following throughout the weekend. I know you guys are all part of a fraternity there. Uh, just your thoughts on, uh, you know, Coach Leach. Yeah, it's just a tough situation, Mike. Uh, obviously, you know, it, it shows you um, this game that we love so much, really how irrelevant that it is. You know, our thoughts with with uh, Coach Leach's family and obviously the Bulldog Nation. No doubt. And, uh, you know, likewise here, um, uh, you know, it's um, like you said, it kind of puts everything into perspective and certainly, uh, you know, college football will will move forward with the games coming up and um, all American teams and Heisman, like you said, it kind of puts it all into perspective. I guess I'd ask you about those all American teams. You know, we see Jalen Carter on it and uh, certainly uh, Brock Bowers was the second team. Where are coaches, where do they stand on that? Do the coaches really pay attention to that? Is it important to them for guys to make it? And what weight does that carry within the program? Well, I think it's an opportunity um, to give your honest opinion uh, on the on the people that you played, uh, the, the people that are on your team, you know, and, and I think we as coaches owe it uh, to the players to do the best that we possibly can to take the time to figure out and try to compare because it's a huge honor, right? Uh, it only happens, you know, once a year and have an opportunity to get on that list is a huge accomplishment for everybody involved. Right. And, well, and the Heisman Trophy, certainly that came up as well uh, over the weekend. We saw the results of that with Caleb Williams from USC winning that award and uh, Max Duggan from TCU second, CJ Stroud third, Stetson Bennett fourth. We saw Hendon Hooker fifth in the voting, Bryce Young sixth. Uh, a lot of quarterbacks there, coach. I mean, and this has really turned into a quarterback award, 11 out of the last 13 winners quarterbacks, Devontae Smith and uh, Derek Henry slide in there from Bama in 2020-2015. What's your thoughts on the, on the Heisman the turnout and kind of the direction that award's headed? 
Well, first of all, um, you know, con congratulations to Caleb Williams on, on winning the award. Uh, did I think he had the best year across um, the country in college football? I did not. I thought probably Hendon Hooker did. Do I think he might be the most talented guy out there? Uh, very well could be, uh, you know, but he, he's going to have a platform for the rest of his life, you know, and uh, it's a huge platform where there's going to be a, a lot of uh, little kids out there that are going to follow, uh, follow Caleb Williams for, for the rest of his life. Right. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure during the last um, probably three or four days uh, he's probably come under a little bit of scrutiny, you know, that's what happens when you really become an, uh, you know, kind of the, the feature person. So uh, I think he's, I, I think just watched him, I think uh, as a guy that's got a lot of potential as a player and a lot of potential to have a positive impact on young people. He needs to learn from some of the mistakes he possibly made and use that uh, to correct and, and be a positive influence moving forward. Yeah, there's no doubt, you know, he'll be under scrutiny, the, you know, the rest of his life when you're a Heisman Trophy winner, there's a, a certain level of, um, I guess, scrutiny that comes along with that. Uh, Stetson Bennett was fourth, and you've been in programs with Heisman Trophy winners before. Does that provide a boost? Does it do anything for the program when you've got a finalist? Have you taken note of that? And, and what does that mean for Georgia football now that Kirby's got a, a Heisman Trophy finalist on his resume, if anything? Well, you know, first of all, um, the one thing that stuck out to me when I saw the the four finalists, Stetson, the first picture I saw he had on his Letterman's jacket, which I thought was pretty cool, the big G, right? So, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I think when you talk about branding for the university, obviously it's first time since Garrison Hurst, uh, and that's been 30 years ago. So I, I think, yeah, absolutely, Kirby Smart's at the, He's at, obviously at the, the, you know, the, the ceremony. So, you know, Georgia's getting a chance to, to uh, put their brand out there uh, and show that they, you have a chance to win the highest honor, individual honor, uh, if you come to the University of Georgia. Yeah. You know, it's interesting what you wonder what coaches talk about when they go on recruiting visits. And I had an opportunity to do a series uh, when I was in Tennessee with some some of the recruits that you had, in fact, uh, as well as Butch Jones. And you kind of talk to the families and you see they all they all have different priorities. They all have different things that are important to them. Um, I'm sure it's different when the head coach goes in there than when it's just some reporter, though. Uh, but I got to ask you, you know, I see the videos of Nick Saban doing the Cupid shuffle. And, and I, think, I think we all kind of enjoy that because it just seems so different than how we see Coach Saban on the sideline and kind of reminds us, well, you know what, he's, he's a person too. You know, him and his wife probably like to dance and have fun. And at some point he learned that dance. And, and then you see Brian Kelly and kind of posing with some of the recruits in the studio at LSU. And you go, now what's this all about? And, uh, and I just wonder, you know, you haven't been in those living rooms yourself, if not as a, as a coordinator, as a head coach yourself. I mean, um, how do you kind of figure out, you know, what the family and what the recruits wants? And do, do they ever make any strange requests um, for you or your staff when you went into any homes? No, I think all coaches, uh, obviously, when they get a chance to do a home visit or somebody comes on an unofficial or official visit on campus, uh, it gives them an opportunity to interact 
outside of football, which gives gives the staff and the family a chance to have some fun, right? Uh, to relax. It's uh, you know, obviously this this business is uh, is scrutinized. There's a lot of pressure. So it gives them a chance to to really enjoy themselves. I mean, hey, Coach Saban's been dancing for 15 years. Uh, that's not the first time he's danced around the living room. So, uh, and I'm sure there's other coaches that's done the same thing. But uh, do I think that's for show? I do not. I think it's him just enjoying himself, and uh, he's got a group of people at his at his house and um, just just mingling and 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 having fun. Yeah. Yeah, coaches are human too. You know, one of the things we always hear coaches talk about is, you know, and Kirby's mentioned it a few times, is that the families always cook for you and that the, and that you're expected that part of the ritual or tradition of the recruiting visit is for the coach to eat the in-home meal. Do you have any fun stories of uh, any memorable meals that, that you sat down and ate? Yeah, I mean, um, it goes back probably like 12 years ago. Might have been the first year that I was I was a full time coach. But me and Coach Saban had three home visits back to back. We had one like at two o'clock, then we had one like at five o'clock, and we had one like at eight o'clock. <clears throat> at two o'clock, full course meal. Uh, I mean, it was it was I mean, huge huge setup. You know, and we were hungry, right? So we're digging in, right? So visit went great. We move on to the to the five five thirty meal again. There's another there's another meal set up, awesome meal, and we're kind of looking at each other. You know, you always you, you kind of like to go back for seconds, right? You know, so uh, and then at eight thirty that night, we flew into uh, somewhere in South Mississippi, and we get to the house and. I mean, mom's got red beans and rice, uh, jambalaya. I mean, you, you, you're talking about a spread now. And I couldn't eat another thing. All right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here. I don't, I'm, there's no way I can put any more down. I'm looking. And I know coach is the same way. But we sat there. And, it was, and the food was awesome. It was great. But there just wasn't much room left. And we, we sat there and we ate. And, of course, we had to go back and get more. Oh, uh, man, that was a, that was a rough rough night on the on the drive home yeah that's a lot that's a lot of food for sure and it is kind of a neat deal that you know do you, do you think those rituals and traditions the dancing the meals do you, do you think that's always going to be in player do you think that this nil and this money is a threat to that coach no i listen um mike you got kids i've got kids um you know everybody that's that when when they're looking to to send their son off to play for somebody uh, in college, the first thing is they want they're they're going to be worried about their well being. Do they trust the people involved? Yes. Now there's the NIL. Uh, yes, there's the player development. You know. Uh, yes. Um, when when I sign with a school, what what's the what's the plan for the rest of my life? Am I going to be connected uh, with this university? Um, so, you know. I do think that it's still going to be a, a, a people-driven business, uh, but there is the outlier of, you know, the NIL. You know, I'm, I've not been involved in it. I actually have had a, a few conversations over the last couple of days with some guys that are right in the thick of it, and I and I just asked them. I, I said, hey, is – I mean, it, are you still recruiting the same way or is it just about, hey, who's got the biggest bank? And 
I, I really believe that there's there's a trust factor. Uh, you know, I, I don't care how much money you got. I'm not going to let you take my my son or daughter. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of that's kind of how I look at it. Yes, is it tempting? But they're they're really not for sale. If that makes sense. I mean, you, so that's how I see it. I think uh, you you've got to still build relationships. There's got to be a trust factor and a belief, and and you you've got to kind of have a, a history of 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 showing where your your players graduate your players have a chance to improve develop as football players and have a chance to make the bigger money in the NFL you know there's a there's a plan for when it's all over with how you're going to be connected back into the university so uh, I still think it is a people-driven business when we hear about coaches that are on the road recruiting in season or uh, right now obviously Kirby get ready for the game I mean what are those schedules like? I mean, does everybody just gather at the airport in the morning and get on a plane and you're dropping different guys off at different places? And I mean, just how crazy and hectic of a time is it for those assistant coaches? Obviously, you you served in that capacity many years before you were the, the head coach and the quote unquote closer or you only get the one in home. But a lot of the assistants make multiple visits. What's that like? And is it usually one plane, two planes drive? I mean, how do you all get around and how crazy does it get? Well, I think just starting with the head coach, <clears throat> when you're <clears throat> when you're playing in the SEC championship game, it can be a disadvantage on the recruiting trail. Um, you know, you're you you only get one in home, right? And there's there's probably 20 to 25 guys possibly that you sign in the early signing period. So there's only so many days that you can get out, especially if you're recruiting across country, right? So if you got to make a West Coast trip, you want to make all, you want to hit all the West Coast guys uh, in one trip, you know, because uh, flying out there and back, if you're an East Coast team, um, can be an issue um, eating up days, right? Or do I get somebody on the way out, get somebody on the way back? Um, and, you know, you got to factor in the time um, differenti differentiating and from Eastern to Central to Pacific and all that. So, uh, but it's, it's, it's full go uh, for everybody involved. Yeah. I think there's a lot of sleeping on those planes and eating on the go and uh, man. Yeah. It's, you know, nothing like FaceTime, you know, Georgia has had the last week, quote unquote off. I think Stetson Bennett revealed it in New York that the team was meeting on Saturday to get together and run. I know Kirby wanted him to get a little bit of that downtime and, also, I think they had their final exams last week. So how does a team ease or do they ease back in? Like, um, and, and I know you're, you're not obviously on Kirby Smart staff and he's obviously modified some things. But in general, how do you approach this week coming back uh, after the finals and, and how do coaches ease into that next game plan typically? Well, I think you got to start from when – you usually start from game day and work your way backwards, right? It gives you a time frame. So you're gonna want the you're gonna want game week to be as close to game week as you possibly can, right? Because uh, you're driven by routine. So you're you're gonna work your way back from that standpoint. You obviously will have Christmas in there, uh, which can kind of throw a little, you know, a curveball there. But and then probably I don't know this, but I know like just kind of historically working under Coach Saban, uh, his philosophy was, you know, we want to take three extra days or maybe four extra days 
to work on the opponent, you know, usually three probably. So you get eight days to work on the opponent. Uh, and then you go back in front of that and you can have as many as three to five days to where you're sitting there and you, you're saying, hey, we're going to work on Georgia. Uh, now, has Kirby modified that? I don't know. I've not had an opportunity to talk to him about that. But most people are going to try to, hey, let's take, a, take at least three days to probably – you know, it's like fall camp or spring ball, right? Let's let's get back to fundamentals and get back in the groove and build ourselves back up. And then let's take three days to to work on our opponent, maybe take a break for a day or two, and then come back and let's start game week. Is the formula different when you're in a playoff versus a bowl from the standpoint of that we always heard one of the advantages of being in a bowl was you could look at a lot of the young guys. I know Kirby's done that in the past you know, give some players more reps than maybe they'd been getting with the first or the second team? Or do you think it stays sort of the same there? No, I think, um, you know, if I, when I was talking about to start the practice off the first three to five days, some people may do three, they may do four, they may do five days to where it's more like fall camp. That's an opportunity to where, hey, it's, it's um, you know, you're, you're working on both fields, ones, twos, threes, and fours, and you got a chance to really develop people within your program. The other thing I'd ask about is early signees. Sometimes uh, an early signee will quote unquote practice with the team and people get all excited. And, you know, from my observations, it didn't look like they really practiced that much, but they were out there and they were a part of it and uh, at the site. And now we see so many early signees. Um, I guess I'd ask you about the early signees practicing. What does that really amount to? And then two, just what are your thoughts on the kids that play in the all-star games? Um, you know, one of the things I've always wondered going all the way back to a guy named Kevin Simon that you and I know was the number one defensive prospect in the nation. And he played in the very first U.S. Army All-Star game and suffered a severe knee injury that, that all nearly derailed his collegiate career. He came back from that and, and was a team captain and a star and went on to a tremendous uh, uh, NFL career working as a scout and, and also working in the college ranks. But I've always wondered about the kids that play in those all-star games and if coaches are out there holding their breaths. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they are, um, you know, from a standpoint of, um, you know, you're nowadays with, especially with the portal people in and out, you're probably the depth from a depth standpoint. Um, you know, the guys that you sign, you hope come in and contribute within the two deep uh, probably immediately because if they don't, they're going to be trying to jump in the portal possibly, you know, uh, if you don't recruit them the right way. But I think back probably the first person that I saw um, that practiced with a team during the bowl was, was Jalen Hurts. Um, you know, I actually Kirby was actually still the defensive coordinator at Alabama at the time. He had taken the head job at, at Georgia and, and I had gone over and, and was there and I had an opportunity to watch Jalen Hurts first day on practice. Um, he's simulating um, Deshaun Watson. And let me tell you, he looked really good. And it was just, I, I, I remember walking off the field and I was talking, me and Coach Saban were talking and he's asking me about the plan and, you know, what I thought, did I see anything? And, and I, I told him, I said, the one thing that I saw is this quarterback, this freshman quarterback, the poise that he has, the command that he had. He don't, he don't know these guys. He walked out there the first day. You would have never thought. I mean, it, I mean, it, it, it was shocking to me, which uh, you could see there that, you know, you couldn't see it. But now looking back, 
ends up being the, the SEC Offensive Player of the Year that fall as a freshman. But I, I just think back to that one day. So does that create an advantage for some guys? Uh, if they take advantage of it, it does. Well, Jeremy, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up, knowing you were with the Giants last year and you and I had a conversation about Baker Mayfield, and I thought he had a pretty historical showing the other night. They just signed him to the Rams, and he gets thrown out there on the field. And, you know, I'd always had a perception in, in, uh, of, of Baker Mayfield, and sometimes quarterbacks are really a byproduct of the team around them, and you don't really know how good a guy is. And I always use Steve Young as an example. I kind of date myself, but when he was with the Buccaneers, nobody really thought that much of Steve Young, and then he went to the 49ers and he was a hall of famer, but you know, you shared a fun story with me, a fun anecdote the other day about Baker Mayfield. And I'm bringing it up because you were probably one of the least surprised people to see him get that victory in short time with the Rams. Yeah. I mean, uh, I told you the story we had, we had an opportunity to practice against Cleveland for a couple of days and then played them. And, you know, just watching him, the command that he had on the field uh, to me, it just, um, you know, obviously as a quarterback, you got to be accurate. You got to know what you're doing. I felt like he, I mean, I don't know what the Browns were doing at the time, but I know they were carving us up pretty good uh, at practice, but just kind of the respect and the way the his teammates kind of rallied around him. I mean, he seemed like a guy that um, you'd want to play with. Uh, so I was kind of shocked, you know, of, of how things kind of turned out there in Cleveland and particularly uh, in Carolina, because I thought, you know, Carolina's getting a steal here, but uh, hopefully Baker, who I don't really know, but I, I just respect the way he competes uh, and how he practiced, man. The guy loved to practice uh, the couple of days that we were there. You know, so much more to it than what meets the eye. You're a former defensive coordinator. I think that's one of the things you told us about Stetson Bennett. You know, you, people can say what they want about his height or his statistics, but I think you told us earlier in the year, you think that confidence really makes a big difference for a quarterback in the way it affects an offense. Well, I, to me, I, I watch when um, Stetson takes the ball down and against Tennessee and runs in and runs to a huge lick on the goal line and scores, right? Uh, that's just one of many things that he's done over his career. But I watch how the players respond. Uh, you could see it last year. You could kind of see he, he has the respect of his teammates, right? Uh, nothing was given. It was earned. And I think uh, Kirby has really very well documented that uh, uh, over several interviews about how they, you know, kept moving somebody in front of him and, and hey, you got to respect that. Um, and, and to me, um, I know he finished fourth in the Heisman, but um, I think he was very well deserving to be there. And, uh, you know, hey, he, he's got right now what none of those other quarterbacks have, and that's a national championship ring. He's got a chance to get two. Um, so he's been there. He's been through the fires. And I think uh, this next game, uh, I, I think you'll see probably – one of Stetson's best games. I thought this past game against LSU was one of his better games. I, I see this guy getting better and, and finding a way each week. No doubt about it. When Kirby Smart has time to prepare for teams, he does a great job, and Stetson Bennett has showed up big in the big games this season. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us. I want to thank you for coming on this week. I want to thank everybody uh, for watching. We've had a lot of fun with it. Um, I'll try to be back next Monday. I hope everyone has a wonderful week. 
And uh, don't forget to join Dog Nation Daily each day at 10 a.m. and Jeff Centel uh, before the hedges on Wednesday nights. Have a great week, everybody.